This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcast that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 28. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery's second episode, or the second half of the first episode, however you want to look at it, The Battle at the Binary Stars. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So I want to start, as we do often, uh, to remind you to remember to like Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook. Uh, if you go to the Facebook and find the SQPN page and find our episodes posted there, if you could like those, uh, retweet our episodes on Twitter to leave us comments, subscribe. If you don't yet subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, where if you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to get notifications when we post a new episode. And please share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. That's what we're here for is to is to have an audience. We're not just doing this for ourselves. So we want to reach more and more folks. So there's lots of Star Trek fans out there that we think would enjoy this. And if you could help reaching out to them, we'd greatly appreciate it. One way you can do that is also by leaving a review like on iTunes or in the uh, various the other podcast directories also let you leave reviews of podcasts. And uh, we, we greatly, greatly appreciate uh, you doing that uh, for us to help us continue. Um, I do want to take a moment. Uh, we've been talking about this uh, for some time now. We're, we're part of SQPN, the StarQuest Podcast Network, or Production Network is technically <laughs> what we say, the StarQuest Production Network, and we're in the middle of a giving campaign. We are a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uh, explore the intersection of faith and pop culture, in this case, the intersection of faith and uh, faith-related themes in Star Trek, and as well as to just enjoy it as we do as as fans. Uh, but we can only do that. We can only continue to do these podcasts uh, through the generosity of listeners like you. Uh, and the, the ability to do all of these different podcasts that we do requires a full-time attention. A, it's a full-time job for one person, uh, me. And so uh, we rely on your generosity to help us to not only pay my salary, but to pay all of the production costs. We have, we have to buy software, hardware, hosting costs, hosting. Yeah. There's, there are, there are uh, quite a few costs that are involved when you have a podcast network. 
And so our ability to continue to do this, do this, it depends entirely on you. And we really need you to go to sqpn.com slash give today uh, and to click on the become a patron button. Uh, there are various levels of giving you could you could become a giver at. Um, if you do, we offer some uh, thank you gifts in, uh, to, for you uh, for making a gift today. Uh, some of them are Star Trek related, which you might enjoy. We think you'll enjoy those. Uh, and then also some relate to some of our other shows as well. If you decide to to choose from among those, it's a, it's your choice. So again, if you can go to sqpn.com slash give, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So we are talking today about the battle at the binary stars, which has... And let's start by talking about that title. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's sound... Okay, so number one, as you were pointing out before the show, Dom, battle at, not of. Right. Of is the standard preposition in English for battles. Battle mm -hmm. of the Bulge, battle of Gettysburg, battle of Iwo Jima. Right. Um, of is the standard, but even even so, uh, you might think battle, and apparently the producers of the show did think that battle at the binary stars was a cool name. Might be, unless you know anything at all about astronomy, because <laughs> the fact is most stars are binary. 55% of the stars in our galaxy are binaries, and therefore this is like battle at the gas giant or <laughs> battle at the two crossed roads or battle at the Walmart or something like that. I mean, the fact is, is there in the, in the history of the, uh, the, the Klingon war, the Romulan war, any of the other wars that the Federation finds itself in, the odds are that they've probably had a more than one battle in a system that's binary. Statistically, 55% of their battles should yeah. be at binary stars unless there's something else affecting the situation. Right. Now, now to be to be fair about the grammatical issue, at least, and maybe this is just memory alpha fixing their mistake, but they call it, they do call the entry Battle of the Binary Stars. So the episode name is Battle at the Binary Stars, but the battle is called the Battle of the Binary Stars. Right. Now, again, I don't know if that's – I don't remember if anywhere else in the series they explicitly call it the Battle of the Binary Stars or not. But at least no. Memory Alpha has fixed that problem. So Right. So the actual title is, is given by the writers and producers is Battle at the Binary Stars. But Memory Alpha says – agrees with me and Jimmy and says, uh-uh-uh, it should be Battle of the Binary Stars. So – the listing about the episode has the actual title, but when they talk about the battle itself, uh, they right. have the... The title of the episode is Battle At, but the title <laughs> of the battle is Battle Of. Right, but not... May not just, show, may just, right. and, it, and it may be that they do refer to it in the show as Battle Of the Binary Stars at some point, in which case we just have... A, in, a minor contradiction. Yes, a minor, minor inconsistency. I mean, that'd just be like having a title of, um, you know, Battle At the Hill. Is the title of the episode, and then you know, you know, Bunker Hill is the actual battle yeah. at Bunker Hill. I, I don't want to spend any more time on it, though. Anyways, <laughs> at the risk of people going, "What a bunch of Star Trek nerds!" and and moving on. So, we, but point we're, noted, we're doing a show called Secrets of Star Trek. That's kind of implied. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people knew what they were getting in that's for true. when they clicked play. That's Anyways. true. So to recap, I mean, this is real. As I said at the top, this is the. Really, a, the second half of the pilot episode. These mm -hmm. two episodes go together. The only reason they're separate is because uh, CBS 
in in its attempt to market the show and, and get people to sign up for its CBS All Access streaming service that the most of the show is only available on. They have uh, they 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 aired Vulcan Hello on their regular broadcast network CBS, mm-hmm. and then put the second half on CBS All Access, the streaming service, so that you had to go there to watch it and hopefully sign up. And, and but they were both available. Like the the second episode was available immediately after the first episode aired. Yes, it was so it was you know, so you could watch them in concurrence, um, which which then makes it a lot like a lot of the other Star Trek's we talked about, you know, Voyager and Enterprise and things like that, where they were actually were longer two two part episodes that were one right, and then later for syndication they broke apart into two right from TNG TNG onwards, all of them have had uh, two part uh, initial episodes. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about it, so this aired the same day and date, nine, uh, September 24th, 2017. Um, so the, the, what the, so to recap this half of, the, of the, what's essentially a prologue to the entire series, um, we have, uh, we, you know, w- where we left our hero, she was in the brig, uh, uh Michael Burnham, uh, she was put in the brig and then the battle started, Right. Um, no, she was on the bridge on the bridge and right. all the Klingon ships had just showed up and she was about to fire on them. And that's when we faded to black. Right, right, right. So uh, so as we start this episode, uh, Giorgio puts her in the brig, uh, my, uh, my, uh, Michael Burnham. And so have so her 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 Vulcan hello fails. Yes. And we therefore never learn what would have happened if she had gotten her way. Right. Her attempt to do the Vulcan hello fails. Anyway, she doesn't actually fire on them first. Um, And, uh, you know, what which is. When you back up a bit, she gets blamed or skip ahead a bit. She eventually gets blamed for this battle. You caused this disaster and this war to start uh, by. But that doesn't really make sense. How, yeah. How does that? How is this her fault? I mean, she did I stage actually, a mutiny, but then later on, I failed. Later on, I think the explanation is in this episode why she gets blamed. It's towards the, it's it's towards the end. But I, I think the explanation is there. OK. She loses Captain Giorgio and so forth. When she killed Kuvma is what what causes the war. This would have just been another indecisive battle or another battle that the Klingons won because they talk about um, how if Kuvma is killed, he becomes a martyr. But if they capture him, he just becomes a prisoner of war. What does Burnham do when she sees when she sees Giorgio killed? She flips the phaser from stun to kill and kills him. Because you do see it's really quick, but you do see because they show the phaser. It's got the blue light showing mm-hmm. it's on stun. And right before she pulls the trigger, you see that switch to red and then she shoots. OK, that's okay. that. They, what I think they are trying to say is why they, they say she caused it. They could have made that a little clearer. Well, it in wasn't fact, explicit. No, but in later episodes, yeah. she gets blamed for the battle, which is not her fault. The battle itself. She was in the brig when that started. Like she didn't, she never, mm-hmm. her plan never got off the ground. So she didn't mm-hmm. start the battle, but, but exp- I, I uh, you know, when we rewatch, I'll have to watch for it. But I, I have this feeling that she gets blamed for the losses in the battle itself, which is not. See, I don't, fair. I, I don't remember that, but it's, it's been what, six months or whatever it was since I yeah. last watched these 10 months since I last watched these. So there's also, and this is, this could be, 
dismissed as uh, fan rationalization, but there there is also the phenomenon that happens in real life of when someone takes the blame for something, even though they may only be responsible for part of it, the right. public imagination they take all of it and right. she may just she may just after after her killing to Kuvma, you know, gets her the blame, then people start to ascribe blame for everything to her. Right. And she's so guilty over what happened that she doesn't want to challenge them on it. Says, yeah, I'm the Michael Burnham who started the war. And she basically yeah. pleads. Yeah, she pleads guilty to whatever charges. And so she probably just cops to everything and and says, just put all she the blame on up. me. Yeah, she just gives up and I'm done. And. Yeah. So, all right. So that's the end. The, at the beginning, oh, we have you've a- enjoyed this episode of Secrets <laughs> yeah, of <exactly>. Star Trek. <laughs> so from the beginning, we have um, uh, we, we have this flashback to when she first arrives on the Shenzhou. Sarek is bringing her. And and I'm, I'm did Burnham. Oh, not- is she a pseudo Vulcan jerk at the beginning? <laughs> well, yeah. the, there's that. But but even more fundamental, did she not go to Starfleet Academy? Did she just graduate from the Vulcan like Science it. Academy and get an appointment directly to the Shenzhou as an officer? That just doesn't... maybe that works as an exchange program kind of thing. Yeah, and then they and then kind of, they kind of implied that they they because um, yeah because she wasn't wearing Starfleet uniform or anything like that when she came on board, right? Um, which is kind of amazing then because it shows Saru on the bridge as they walk in right. seven years ago. As and a science sudden, officer, in se- yeah. In seven, yeah, in seven years, she leapfrogged him from, you would assume, ensign and, to ensign lieutenant commander. commander. Yeah, right. I forget what uh, um, Giorgio's actual rank is. Like the captain of a ship is called captain, all, no matter what their actual always rank. Necessary, yeah, right. Isn't always necessary an actual captain. It might be right. a commander. Right. So I don't remember exactly what what the ranks were, but but yeah, she certainly leapfrogged everybody from most junior officer mm-hmm. aboard to second in command, um, which in retrospect, that actually seemed to have not been a good idea. <laughs> well, I know it kind of raises questions about Captain Giorgio's judgment. Right. In oh, well, promoting her so fast. And Starfleet Meanwhile, in general. Years later, poor, poor Harry Kim is the seven year ensign. But <laughs> Yeah. Poor Harry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Admittedly, there weren't a lot of. I mean, I, I guess you could say there sh- were enough crew deaths. There should have been yeah, room exactly. for advancement there, but other than that, there's no not a lot of rotating in and off the ship to other assignments. I mean, nope. just to kind of be the, the tangent, Harry was the most junior officer aboard, so he had to have been places that he could have gone up from from where yeah. he started. <laughs> could go further to be. down. Yes. Um, anyway. Anyways, so one oddity I noticed. In that opening scene where the like where Giorgio sends her off to the brig, every shot on during this standoff is tilted, and it, I, I found it an odd directorial choice. Any angles, du, uh, yeah, Dutch angles. That's that's the, the term. Any any idea what the why the cre- they made that creative choice? What that's supposed to convey? I think it's meant to convey that space is a 3D environment, and so right. combat in space shouldn't be understood as like a tabletop type game. No, no, and I'm not. That's uh, yeah. one way of gesturing at it. I'm not actually mentioning. I'm not talking about like the between the ships. I mean on the bridge. No, no, no. I think it's the yeah. same thing. By it's it's a way of telling us this is a ship in space. Don't expect its orientation to line up the way you would expect it to okay. on a planet. And there could also be the, the the stress of the battle that you know if, if you ever watch footage, um, 
like say from the Vietnam War of when they're actually in battle, the camera's always not always perfectly aligned. But it, it's not even that. I mean, that's it's the only time they do it in the episode, and it's not during a battle scene. It's that's the standoff between Giorgio and Burnham. Okay, because yeah. I noticed in the previous, and I didn't. I wasn't tracking this question in this episode, but I noticed yeah. in the previous episode, we got a lot of tilted ships in space. Right. And if you're yeah. seeing tilted ships in space, then when you yourself on that ship, yeah, makes cinematic sense to also have that interior shot be tilted rather than we're seeing tilted ships in space. And then all of a sudden we're seeing absolutely 90 degree aligned shots once right. we're inside. Well, if you watch it again uh, or folks watch it, uh, keep it keep track because it's only on the cl- on the uh, the close up shots of Burnham and Giorgio they're tilted on the wide shots they're not and in shots of other places mm. on the ship they're not but only in those cl- I, I I felt like they were trying to convey something but I couldn't figure out what it was or maybe just stress and then unease yeah I guess I guess so I mean it just it seemed weird to me. Um, what what leapt out at me in like the bridge sequences in a way that really hadn't clicked for me before, even though I've been seeing it since next gen, is they have a bunch of no flit, no sit Starfleet stations right there on the bridge where a lot of people don't have chairs. Yeah. And it's right. like, how what? modern office design they've got i mean that's <laughs> exactly like lots of places now are promoting no sit stations although um if it, it sort of evokes a a 20th or 21st century aesthetic for u.s naval ships or coast guard ships mm-hmm. where they don't have seats everyone stands at their station except for the captain the captain has a chair but everyone right. else stands at a station so they might be sort of evoking a little bit of that but yeah i mean it's it reminds us of wharf's a spot behind Picard where he had the railing that he got to stand mm-hmm. at. Um, how's, what's your, what's your station? Oh, it's, I stand at the railing. <laughs> Just like kind of stand yeah. at the rail. Um, Sitting is not healthy. <laughs> right. Uh, so we find out, we get to Kuvma's backstory here. We get a little more about some of it. Some of it, right. Um, we find out that the big coffin ship, the sarcophagus ship is, uh, was his father's ship. Uh, but it was abandoned when he died, and Takuvma, you know, restored it. Uh, almost, uh, they couldn't kind of the idea that through like sheer force of will. Yep. If you want to read about that, it's actually that story is actually told in a mini series in the comics in oh. uh, in uh, Star Trek Discovery comics. Hmm. Um, this is one of the nice things these days about some of these. Uh, series like Star Trek Discovery. And the same thing was true of Battlestar Galactica, where a lot of the comics are written by the show's creators. And so they're meant to be either canonical or semi-canonical. Right. Like Star Trek, uh, Star Wars takes that to the extreme where everything that's published has to be approved. Uh, Star Star Trek, a little less so. Uh, there have mm-hmm. been contradictions in places here and there with so much, so many books and comics and things. But but when it's th- but in this case, it's a tie-in that's meant to fill in the right. backstory of this of Takuvma and the sarcophagus ship. Right. Uh, so Takuvma's big his big claim the whole the thing the reason one of the reasons he's attacking the Federation in addition to reuniting the Klingon houses who have been at war with one another uh, is his claim that the Federation would destroy uh, each Kl- uh, Klingon individuality. By getting mm-hmm. into mix with the other species, which is a sort of that classic xenophobia, uh, fear of the other thing that Star Trek has often done. And so it's not necessarily just a, a contemporary political, social political right. statement, but it's. This has been with Starfleet since the beginning. 
Right. The uh, our track. Sorry, you're right. The the left whites, the left. The, oh yeah, the let that be your last battlefield. That was an awesome episode. Right. Sil- I mean, it's kind of silly on one level, but that moment where you realize, oh, there is a difference between these two guys, and it's we have we the audience have not seen it this whole time. Right, it's totally trivial, but it's totally important to them, and yep. it's like that's a cool moment. Right, right. That is, and uh, we'll eventually talk about that episode uh, here. But yeah, so so that so this topic has been part of of Star Trek for a long time. Uh, so then we have uh, you know another great moment was this the scene where Burnham is in the brig after the Shenzhou has been blasted, and the base of the brig is. Holding on by force field, like that's the only thing that's that's keeping her safe is these force fields surrounding her little place. She's basically got like a ten foot by ten foot square, and that's it. And she can't get the computer to recognize that it needs to let her escape from this. And I'm like, wow, people have problem with uh, with Echo and Siri in the future too. It's like this AI didn't really pan out, did it? Exactly. It must get better uh, uh, by the time of next generation. Uh, But she does eventually convince it to, to let her go. But I thought that was a really cool scene where she had to you know, kind of talk through it and convince it that she, it needs to, to to help her get get free. Also has that telepathic communication with Sarek. Yep. Um, and they don't explain it here. Um, and I think some fans criticize it. it's like, how is she? Vulcans are not that telepathic, and humans certainly are not. Right. How are they talking over all this distance? I mean, normally Mister Spock either had to touch your face, right? or at least be on the other side of a wall in order to mind meld with you. And they don't spell it out here. They do in a later episode, but Michael is carrying part of Sarek's Katra right. or his soul. And so well, that's they, why they're able to do this. Did briefly, briefly mention it, but they didn't go into any detail. Right. There's um there, there, there is established in some place in Star Trek lore. And I'm trying to think of whether it was a book or, or whether it's on air, but that, once it, once you've mind melded with somebody, once a Vulcan has mind melded with somebody, especially several times, it creates an ever increasing uh, telepathic bond. Um, so that might mm-hmm. be uh, part of it as well. But the the Katra thing, long established since Star Trek three and four, the movies. Um, so we, uh, uh, we have the battle, and you know, and if you're into space battles, this is a pretty good space battle. Yeah, although the ships, as usual on Star Trek, are way too close to each other. There's well, yeah. no way you would get mm-hmm. that close to somebody in an actual space battle. Right. If you want to see how it, a, a space battle like this might look in reality, you, uh, The Expanse does a good job of showing mm-hmm. these vast di- uh, distances. Even then, they, they kind of shorten it because you don't want to wait two hours before a missile hits. Well, <laughs> and I think... I think Battlestar Galactica did a good job of that as well. They're not like right up next to each other. And, you know, there is time lag between when the missiles get launched yeah. and when they hit. BSG did a good job. And even back in the end of the 90s, uh, Babylon 5 was doing mm-hmm. stuff in this direction where they would. It wasn't made explicit on screen, but these ships were meant to be thousands of miles away and they're shooting at each other, but you never see them on screen next to each other. Right. Is, right. is the way they, they handle that on Star Trek starships, uh, dogfight basically. Yeah. Really yeah. close dogfights. I mean, even like, even, well, even today, you, uh, naval ship battles would not take place within sight of each other. So, yeah. Father Corey, you were going to, 
also oh, I, just, I was gonna say you know it, it makes even less sense to have them that close when they're using directed energy weapons that travel at the speed of light <laughs> right uh, it's not going to take that long to get between the two ships now that said for the sake of drama uh and you know to, to bat for the the dra- battle drama having the this sort of close combat ramps up the drama mm-hmm. it, it is really intense yeah also, it's another thing in terms of dramatic intensity that makes no sense on the logical level that also involves timing. I noted at the end of our previous episode how the Klingon ships all miraculously show up within seconds of each other, despite yeah. not apparently having been staged anywhere. Yeah. And we have the same exact problem with Starfleet here. All the Starfleet ships show up miraculously within seconds of each other without prior evidence of being staged anywhere. And Except- it would make even less sense in the case of Star Trek than in the case of the Klingons, because at least you could headcanon the idea that maybe they staged somewhere and then arranged a procession to their great signal light for religious reasons. But Starfleet has no reason to do that. Yeah. Well, then you get the, you know, they all show up except the Europa, the one with the command, with the, the Admiral, because, of course, you know, plot. <laughs> of course. The Europa saves it arrives just in time to save the Shenzhou from crashing into an asteroid. Uh and then they themselves are rammed by the uh the Klingon the the sarcophagus ship uh that decloaks in the middle of the ramming. Um yeah. it's a it's kind of an odd thing and I, I mean Star Trek has established that cloaking devices are essentially invisibility uh fields like they they make Hard surfaces invisible. We saw that in Star Trek Four. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a hard one to buy. I, I like. <laughs> I like the idea that the shields create a field around it that that causes light to pass through. But. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have a hard time with that one. Actually, I think cloaking, and this is actually something they they spelled out pretty early in uh, the original series in the Enterprise incident episode where. Er, a cloaking device and the Romulan commander tells them this is just going to be upgraded. Right. It's a constant war of, of, you know, well, escalation. The, the title of the episode kind of technology. Yeah. Bal- the ba- oh, was that the balance of power? No, no, that was the other one. No, balance of terror was the first one. This was where with the female commander, oh, that Kirk, right. uh, woos and get, and gets uh, a cloaking device into the bargain. That's right. That's right. The fictitious Vulcan death grip. <laughs> yes. The Vulcan death grip. <laughs> uh, so, um, we have, the, we have an actual human death grip. It just involves using both hands around the neck. <laughs> exactly. So the, the 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 bigger problem I have with this the the the, the Klingon ship ramming the 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 Europa is the admiral you know and to you know, gets to Kuvin to agree to a ceasefire, and then then to to Kuvma rams his cloaked ship into the Europa. And I'm like, is that not a tactic worthy of a Romulan? Where is the, the, the Klingon yeah. honor in that? Uh, so that, that, that was a problem with that. Uh, the other hand, the original series Klingons were not portrayed as honorable. That was the Romulans. And then by next gen, they flipped it because they wanted Worf to have an honor culture. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, admittedly not, not knowing a lot about how 
physics works in space, but you would think that if you rammed a ship like that at a slow speed like that, this wasn't a high speed ramming. This was slow pushing in. Right. Wouldn't you eventually push the other ship? Yeah. Like and stop ramming. Right. The, the ship doesn't like the ship has no friction to keep it in place. The Europa. I mean, unless the engines are still pushing forward, I guess. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's, I would, I also assume any, that it's just slow motion for the benefit of the audience. Right. Fair enough. It, it seemed like though, with between when it flashed between the ramming and the the dialogue in the Shenzhou, that it was real time. Right, that's true. So, so what, go ahead. I wonder, and so we have a lot of this stuff with Klingons in this episode that just made me wonder. Um, you've got when they're talking to them when they're talking amongst themselves, hear Klingon or some dialect of Klingon, mm-hmm. and it's only when we have a trans a, a universal translator present, like in the communications um, communicators, that we hear mm-hmm. an English translation of what they're saying. Um, I for do do they not translate it over the video transmissions when they're talking well, from ship to ship? They, Should they that were, be translated? They were implying that was available in Enterprise towards the end of the series of Enterprise that they could do that the universe translator for communication between ships was becoming available. So that if was previous to in, this. If it's built into the communicator, because once they're on the sarcophagus ship and they flip open a communicator, we can understand what the Klingons right. are saying. Um, but if it's built into a communicator, it should be built into ship to ship technology right um so that didn't make sense to me um if i'm remembering that correctly so i just found myself wondering who is this supposed to appeal to i mean think how niche we are here most star trek fans do not speak klingon and most star trek fans are going to find the constant use of subtitles for these long stretches annoying Mm. Uh, and yeah, okay. There's some conceptual niceness to we only hear it in English when the translator's present. That's kind of cute. But we got all this stuff over these two episodes of listening to them do this guttural dialect, <laughs> sucking the spit around their fake teeth implants. Um, you know, and it, it it's kind of painful to all this Klingon delivered this way. And I'm thinking, who is this for? And then the Klingons themselves, who are these Klingons designed for? This wasn't to please the fans. They've got this ridiculous built plastic body armor with the shoulder spikes. It's like, no wonder a couple of human women are able to kill the most important Klingons. (laughs) They're severely encumbered by their stupid armor. The, so uh, on the the second part of it, the design, uh, they've, the uh, producers have actually uh, are back walking that back a bit in the second season. Good. Yeah, but but just it made me wonder watching this episode. Who did they think this was? All this Klingon painful sequences was going to appeal to? I think they felt like this is this is the authenticity aspect. Like we, it's it's real because they're alien and they look alien and they speak alien. And so it feels more real and gritty. Uh, like we get with, uh, I don't know, game of Thrones and, or shows even that take place on earth where 
you hear lots of long stretches of people speaking Arabic or Russian. I mean, so I think that's yeah. that supposed to be the appeal. But you're right. It just was tedious after a while. Just have them do it like the old uh, the, the, the World War Two movies did. Have them speak German for about five lines in subtitled and then just switch them over. <laughs> British accents. Right. Yeah, it works <laughs> for anything. And I, I think there, you know, part of it was get that little bit of a, a shock when you have, you know, like in, in the previous episode, Vulcan Hello, where he, you know, Kuma's talking about how they tell their lies. He's saying this, you know, they tell their lies in Klingon and then immediately switches to English. We come in peace. Right. You know, same thing. That, same thing that, here where, where he's talking. Well, same, same thing here where he's talking in Klingon. And then when he gets on the communications between the ships, then he switches to English. Right. It's supposed to, to highlight the contrast. I, I, I get, I get right. that. It's just it's for, for people who may not be aware, they do a cute thing in the hunt for Red October where you have Sean Connery speaking in Russian at the beginning of the movie. And then he starts reading from, uh, I guess, from the book of Revelation, I think. And when he gets to the word apocalypse, it switches into English. Yep. Right. Right. Um, so uh, so. Moving on. Um, one of the things I found interesting was with uh, that break scene where Burnham has to escape. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier. She has to engage ethical, the ethical protocols, um, which I thought was kind of funny and in an interesting question. Like, uh, because this is this is actually a contemporary concern as computers get mm -hmm. a smarter, quote unquote, and be in more in control of dangerous things in our everyday lives, like cars. Uh, these kinds of questions come up as how do computers make ethical decisions? So to, it's like in today's thing, when we, if we have an autonomous car and there's we get the trolley problem, uh, the car needs to decide whether to run down the people to the left or the people to the right. How does an autonomous vehicle make these choices? Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas a, a human being, you know, makes his choices using their moral uh, background, their conscience and that sort of thing. And panic. And pa right. And panic, really. Yeah. Uh, so I just find it interesting that, that to contemplate this idea of these ethical protocols that the Starfleet Which are apparently computers. turned off most of the time. <laughs> right. It's like Starfleet leaves its computers in unethical mode. <laughs> yeah. Really? That's the default. <laughs> but I, I do find it a, a, an interesting uh uh, topic to to kind of address this idea of, you know, the start the 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 ship's computer, which is runs some aspects of the ship, has to have these ethical protocols as it makes decisions well, about things. And, and it's been dealt with in Star Trek before. I I think there's there was an wasn't there an episode where Data had to deal with ethical issues, and they talked about that. And the Doctor and Voyager had right, similar well, kind of things. All the way back to the original series with the ultimate computer. Right. 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 right the M5. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's so I mean, this is always again, it's another one of those things that Star Trek has always dealt with is the is uh, ethics and technology, uh, morality and technology. So uh, I, 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 don't know, I just I found it an interesting it, it triggered an interesting thought for me on on that idea. Um, so uh, as we said, uh, we get to a point where Burnham now wants Giorgio to capture, not kill Takuvma, uh, because she doesn't want him to be a martyr. And then, for some reason, quickly shifts to saying, let me kill him. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what happened to the don't let him be a martyr a few minutes ago? 
there was it was a, a shift, and I did I, did I miss something? I mean, I, it's entirely possible. Well, I mean, there there was that they wanted to disable the ship by taking out the neck of it, but not destroying the ship. Right, right. Just sort of detach the the, the front, the where the bridge is from it. I guess so. Right. Uh, to cripple cripple the ship so that they could then go in and capture him, which was their plan. Yeah. That went awry. And the way they did that was they attached a bomb to one of the Klingon bodies in space that were being tractored aboard. Uh, which point I said, why wouldn't they just beam the bodies aboard? <laughs> um, you know, just beam them all aboard. Okay. Too old of a ship. It doesn't have a transporter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there, there was because if a tra- with a transporter, it would um, uh, usually they've established that transporters detect explosives or other things. Yeah. Yep. Um, I noted that in the uh, that that final scene where Burnham and Giorgio bo- beam aboard to get to Kuvma, that it's Vok who who attacks Burnham. Uh, by the yep. way, which becomes interesting as we find out later. Spoilers. He's going to have a change of heart. Yes. You know, he will be. Ash. What, the thing that kind of irritated me about that scene, though, is, OK, we already know that Burnham's emotionally compromised. So why do you send her on the away mission over to the the other ship? Never mind the whole issue of Star Trek sending the captain to the most dangerous well, situation instead of instead of showing the lowest ensign at the most dangerous well, the situation. Captain and Never the first that. officer and the yeah. first officer instead of the security team. Right. This and again, who is the first officer who is emotionally compromised? It's already clear right. about that. Right. Logic would say you send a a, a, a well-armed security team whose job this is over there, like 30 of them to go grab Takuvma and bring him back. Not the captain. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. That's that's one thing uh, I did like about now this is going back to the Enterprise. Yes. That they introduced the Marines. The Makos. The Makos, yeah. you know, I like the Makos. I did like that because it takes that issue away. But of course, you know, this is Star Trek, and they had to throw in that line: "We're explorers, not soldiers." Right, as they shoot their we phasers, come in peace. That the phasers and yep. photon torpedoes that their ships are equipped with. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the line from this song, Star Trek, and y'all remember that? Oh, oh, oh this yeah, one we British we always go- song. We're always going forward because we can't find reverse. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and they give each one of the original series characters a line, and Kirk's line is, we come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, then as we get to the end, uh, you know, the, the post-battle repercussions – um, where we set up the rest of the season, if not the series, with uh, Burnham's court martial, which takes place in the dark. Apparently, we do court martials in there. They kind of reminded me of a star chamber. A star justice. chamber, right? Uh, why are they in yeah. the dark? What are they hiding? I know it's for it's for the dramatic uh, feel of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it, she Burnham now is in a dark place, so to speak. And then they, then the phantom zone comes down and takes her away. <laughs> yes. She goes exactly. With the, uh, yes. Where she'll come back with, um, Superman. So, um, so, you know, there, does this successfully, these two episodes successfully set up the season for us? Cause it's really the, the season is an, is an arc. Apparently season two will have a different arc, but it's, does it successfully set up the season arc? Uh, I think in a flawed way, yeah. yeah. 
you know, it's it, there's a lot here. That, I mean, when I first watched these episodes, they were enjoyable. They still have enjoyable aspects. They got a bunch of flaws, but they do, you know, it, certainly it's far from the worst of the mm. uh, of the of the Star Trek pilots we've seen. Sure. I mean, Encounter at Farpoint and The Caretaker <laughs> were both much worse than this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd kind of put this on the same level, maybe as Broken Bow, it, 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 as a, as a series pilot, it, mm-hmm. it was, it had some enjoyable stuff. It had some really nice stuff. It also had some, you know, some flaws, but it does serve as an effective prequel, the series. And you really do need to see this if you're going to understand what's happening later on. Right. Right. Uh, I d- Agreed. I did find, uh, was, if I recall this line correctly, Giorgio at one point, when Saru and Burnham agree on something, she says, "Am I am I in a parallel universe?" <laughs> my, yeah. And I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> I, you you and, might be." And she t- she, <laughs> yeah, and she she tells uh, one of the uh, bridge officers, "Make a note of this," and he says, "So noted." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's very. It, it was an interesting uh, hint that the uh, writers were giving us. I I kind of feel like it was. It sets up the series, like you said, in a flawed way. Um, it esta- it does what it needs to, which is establish Burnham, establish this the setting of this war, um, and some of the other characters like Saru and Vach and um, the Takuvma, whose shadow will will overshadow the rest of the season. Um, and I th- so I think in that sense, it's 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 effective to a degree. I also mm-hmm. like the fact that our our camera viewpoint character is not a captain. Yes. For once, that's nice. That's that's uh, that's a that's a risk that they were taking as creators, and she's not going to be a captain anytime soon. Um, I mean, Ben Cisco was functioning as a captain, even though his rank was only commander. He was the guy in charge, right. and here it, it's not the person in charge, and um, and she then fails spectacularly, right? You know, mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's another creative risk. But I like that. I like seeing you know the drama of her spectacular fail and then be sentenced to life imprisonment. Right. Uh, yeah. That's a really dramatic out note for the pilot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, again, they, they one of the things they're trying to do, and which is effective, is they're trying to get people to say, I need to see the rest of this story. I need to subscribe to CBS All Access and watch the rest of these. You know, what happens from right. here? I, I think it is. I think that was a very interesting choice was to have your viewpoint character not only not be a captain not be the leader but be a a a failure and a criminal and someone who's broken down to nothing and you're left with well what do we go from here uh and it's an interesting uh, journey back so uh transport that's where we go from here (laughs) exactly So, uh, should I go on to our feedback for this week uh just one quick thing one quick mention um Takuma mentions Donatu Five. Oh, just briefly mentions the battle at Donatu Five, and that that actually was mentioned also in, if I remember correctly, uh, the Tribbles episode of original series. Right, right, right. It's just again one of those kind of one line mentions, you know, that there this been this battle at this star system. Right, a call, that is an interesting callback. Yep. Uh, so we uh, we got some feedback on our uh, going all the way back to our, our first. Um, reboot of uh, Secrets of Star Trek episode 13 on being a Trek fan. Uh, Donna Copy said uh, that um, 
her face, she says, uh, we have all the Christmas ornaments. Uh, if, if you remember the, the Hallmark Christmas ornaments, I have oh, the yeah. shuttle, that's the, the Galileo 7, but that, that's my, the only one I have. She says, I never imagined when I bought them the first year they came out that I'd be doing it for the next 38 years and counting. We really should put the Star Trek ornaments on their own tree. And then she said, one year for Halloween, I dressed up as Star, we dressed up as Starfleet officers, and uh, she made two next-gen uh, uniforms that she posted on our Facebook page, the picture. So that was cool. Um, I love my little Star Trek uh, space shuttle ornament that my wife lets me put on the tree. Uh, so then on our episode uh, overview of the original series, uh, Ramy Leroy says, uh, great episode. Thank you, Ramy. Uh, I just finished a year and a half binge of all Star Trek movies and TV shows. And then she mentioned wow. uh, some of their favorite TOS episodes, The City on the Edge of Forever, Doomsday Machine, and Space Seed. Also blown away by A Taste of Armageddon. And uh, also, can't believe you didn't bring up bread and circuses. I know the one where, where we'll get there. We'll get there, right? Uh, and Remy <laughs> said, "So glad someone told me about your show. We are too. And please uh, pay it forward. Uh, tell someone else about the show too." Yep. Uh, on our overview of the next gen, Fred uh, Firestein says, um, "My wife and I were still college sweethearts when TNG premiered, and we watched it in one of the college TV room- rooms. She was not a fan of TOS, whereas I was a big fan. But this we could enjoy together." Um, and, uh, he said, Dwight Schultz was great on the A team. He plays Barkley, uh, on this. Oh, yes. And I recommend that especially fans of leverage should go back and watch for similarities as a team of quasi criminals come together to do good deeds. Yes. I love it when a good plan comes together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then, um, Alfredo Burunda says, uh, on our, uh, that same episode, um, I recall we were puzzled by Worf as there was no clear explanation uh, when he first saw the the encounter at Frogpoint of how a Klingon came to end up in Starfleet. Um, That was an interesting aspect. Yeah, and I think we commented on that in a later episode that may have uh, aired by now that Worf originally was not meant to be a main character. He was just meant to be a background extra, and he ended up breaking out. Right. Right. Yep. Um, and then on our overview of Enterprise, uh, Mark LaRue says, uh, Count Me is one of the fans who loved Star Trek Enterprise. And, and he says, I liked the theme song. I know, I know there's, and I, this is my commentary. There's someone for everyone. <laughs> if you liked it, you're not alone. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there are others who did, but, uh, but, but many people did not. But okay, I, I, I accept that. I, I, I grant you that. Um, and, and even I'm okay with the theme song yeah. for Enterprise. It, I don't hate it. Right. Um, appreciate what they're trying to do. It's not my favorite, but I appreciate what they're trying yeah, to do. It, I'd say it's my least favorite, but I don't hate it. It's my least favorite. Um, he really likes Scott Bakula as Captain Archer. Um, Oh, yeah. The uh, stories are good for the most part and occasionally excellent. Uh, my only uh, problem is the NX-01 was upgraded much too easily. I liked the idea that the ship was technologically inferior to most of the aliens they encountered. And it was up to the crew to resolve their challenges and not rely on some cheesy on-the-spot techno babble to squeeze out of a crisis. Oh, by the way, we just, we just happened to have the phase cannons in stores. They just hadn't been installed yet. But let's get that done right now. Right, right. There was that. But it, is, it was it was a nice aspect of it that because they were so early on, they couldn't rely on, you know, reversing the polarity of the of the tractor beam um, and that sort yep. of stuff to always get them out of every problem. Uh, so I would have gone even more inferior on the ship. Right, right. It w- that would have been interesting. So that's the feedback we got. Um 
and we love hearing your feedback. We want more of it. So please uh, send it to us. If you have some feedback on Battle of the Bi- at the Binary Stars uh, or any of the other episodes we've had, uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page. Find this episode there and leave us some feedback. And Or you can send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links relevant to our discussion on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, remember that you can support the show and all of our shows at sqpn by going to sqpn.com slash give and becoming a patron. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing. Well, we don't know what we're discussing yet. Uh, we'll actually have to talk about that. We're, we're at sort of an inflection point in Secrets of Star Trek of where do we go from here. If you have suggestions of what you'd like to hear, some particular episodes or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email or leave us some feedback we, we'd like to hear from you so until next time father cory stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of star trek always glad to be here and thank you dom and jimmy aiken thank you as well live long and prosper and once again i'm dom bettinelli thank you for listening to the secrets of star trek on Starquest. this is dom bettinelli again we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcasts you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.